All right, Nicholas Malice, thank you for joining me for an episode of On That Note, and you come bearing gifts only a few <laughs> days after Christmas. Thank you for bringing me this uh, going back to Florida fuck mug uh, and the perfect like Florida seafoam green color. I really appreciate it. What's the... Uh, Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, of course. <laughs> the story behind this mug here, one of your songs, Florida, right? Yeah, so we, uh, my friend Jeff and I, who plays synth in the band, um, we were like hanging out talking about how it'd be funny if we had like a, a song about going back to Florida, but that it was like kind of dark and had a lot of like dark tales about living in Florida. Mm-hmm. So I started recording it and at first it kind of sounded sort of like a Bruce Springsteen song. And, and then like the chorus at that point was just going back to Florida. No fuck. No okay. Sh- no shit. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, upon recording it, I was like, oh, this will, this will be a good you know, good backing vocal. Yeah. And, uh, we, we, I taught it to the band and then we started playing it and we were on the way back from a show. And I was like thinking about how, like, you know, the room got really into, uh, yelling fuck and shit with mm-hmm. us. For and sure. I, and I was like, we need, we need a, an item. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, it's a bit of a crowd pleaser. And the, uh, we, we had actually made mugs in the past and it turns out housewares sell a lot better than records that's interesting um, yeah you were telling me that a second ago unless, before we unless, started unless you're, you're bob dylan um right but uh yeah so so yeah we, we we printed these off and it's been a fun item to have yeah this is sick i never would have thought about doing yeah mugs or anything like that posters i feel like sell sometimes better than than albums too you know just like because people want to hang something absolutely yeah but I got to think about some housewares that would be pretty solid other than just mugs, maybe uh, some sort of lamp or iPhone charger. I don't know. Maybe that would be, but I don't know how you, you would do that. Yeah. Uh, maybe some dinner plates. Dinner plates. That's way smarter. <laughs> I'm just going to look to you to do, to come up with my merch ideas. Um, but cool. Before we get into all the music and everything, you picked out Bob Dylan's Blood on the Tracks. To, uh, to discuss and display here. And if you're listening to the pod, you can watch us on YouTube as well. Uh, subscribe to the channel. But yeah, Blood on the Tracks, it's probably the album that I would get into the most of Bob Dylan if I really gave him a good try. And I'm 27 and it's still I still haven't gone through the real Bob Dylan phase yet. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm waiting for it to happen. This one has kind of made a dent with like, you know, um, Tangled Up in Blue and Idiot Wind and some of the other songs on there. But for the most part, like I still never listened to the whole thing. But what got you into Bob Dylan? Was it this one? Uh, no, it wasn't this one, actually. Blonde on Blonde, I think, was the first one I really dove into. And um, and then from that, I kind of got into most everything that he did, especially kind of in that era, that, like, you know, 60s to 70s era. Yeah. Um, this one, oddly enough, like... I'm not sure how it ended up in my car. I don't think I even bought it, but somehow this ended up in my car as like a, a CD, right? Okay. Not too many CDs floating around these days. But this this particular album just stayed in my car for like two years. Mm-hmm. And like if I wasn't listening like on my like phone or something, I was just like either listen to the radio or listen to Blood on the Tracks. So yeah. I've spent like a lot of time with these uh, funny stories on, on this album. Gotcha. And... Uh, yeah, and I, I, I just, I, I like that, you know, a lot, you know, a lot of times Bob's playing some sort of character, and uh, and I feel like in this album, the character is sort of blurred with the real Bob in a way. I feel like maybe you get to see a little bit of the real Bob in this hmm. one. So some true true heartache yeah. happening in this one. Um, I think that's part of the reason why I have a hard time getting into him is because I don't really know. I don't know if I know him or if I know these characters he's created. Yeah. I think maybe that's the reason I like him a lot. Yeah. You know, I, I kind of, uh, I like, I like a trickster, you know, and I feel <laughs> like Bob, Bob's like up there with the ultimate tricksters. Yeah. I, I feel like I see some similarities in that with this sort of persona that you have for your music as well. Do you feel, am I crazy for saying that? No, you, I mean, I, I think, like like I said, I, I probably listened to Bob more than anybody, and okay. that's definitely like definitely drew a lot of influence from like that type of mentality. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and uh i think he enjoyed kind of kind of messing with people a little bit and like kind of keeping people on their toes and uh sometimes with the music i write i kind of like to emulate that a little bit kind of blurring fact and fiction yeah well product placement this the whole album does kind of feel like you've entered this i don't know what the word is but it's like almost it's like this ironic album where there's always like these tongue-in-cheek lyrics like you just said like going back to florida fuck going back to florida shit like you could have just kept it going back to florida and it's this funny song about going to i mean it's still a funny song about going to florida but adding these little tongue-in-cheek moments and there does kind of have it just adds a new like dimension to it i feel like are you always thinking about that when you're making these songs or is it just so part of you at this point? Um, I think, I think I'm always thinking about making lyrics that are surprising. Okay. Um, you know, that cause most of the, most of the time people are hearing these songs when they're played live. Right. Yeah. Um, I would love it if people, a ton of people listened on Spotify, but, mm-hmm. but like, uh, for a lot of us, that's just like not the reality. So I picture when I'm writing a song and recording a song, I'm thinking about like how it's going to land, like in a room of people, you know? Okay. And like what it's going to sound like, like what, um, and how, how can I like, you know, put together some lyrics that are surprising that someone says, wow, like what, maybe I should cue in and listen to this. Mm-hmm. Like what's, what's he talking about? You know? And, uh, so it's like kind of always in the back of my mind while I'm like creating a new, a new song. Yeah. Do you have any lyrics that off the top of your head, you feel like you've written that really nailed that aspect? Like that surprising earworm? Yeah, I think, well, we keep talking about the Florida song, so I guess like that one's on the mind. So, and it's the, the number one on Spotify as well. <laughs> so that makes sense. So, the second, the, all the verses to that song are based on the time I spent living in Florida, like growing up in Florida, mm-hmm. or not growing up, sorry, um, living in Florida for the time I was there. And uh, the one of the verses. Um, uh, kind of I drop off the melody and go into like a spoken word, which is like something I often like to do in, in songs is it kind of like really like will emphasize a lyric. Yeah. Taking the melody out. And I say, um, thinking about the time you punch my mom at the hospital. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and that one usually like kind of cues people. I mean, usually I can, when we play it live, I kind of like scream it bit but okay. in that part of the song you know this character is is like driving back to florida you know we're not really sure what's bringing them back mm-hmm. but um they're sort of reminiscing about the life they had in, in florida and that that actual lyric was um sort of it was not autobiographical for me but it's for a, one of many friends i made in florida there was a situation where I was at the hospital with him. Mm-hmm. He had had an injury and uh, his girlfriend was there. And then his mom showed up and uh, him, his girlfriend and his mom got in a fight at oh my the, God. the hospital. And that was... And you were there? And I was there. Oh my God. Trying to help out. Yeah. And that was about the time I said, I think it's time for me to leave Florida. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I moved, I moved back. I moved to Athens. That was the final straw. I, I moved to Athens a couple months after that. Okay, I yeah. Like, I got to get out of this place. How long have you been here in Athens? Uh, about 13 years. Oh, wow. Okay, so a good while. Mm-hmm. So you'd call this place home. Did you grow up here before that? No, I grew up in the Atlanta area, like the suburbs oh, okay. of Atlanta. Cool. Yeah, same. What part? Uh, Alpharetta, Roswell area. Okay. Yeah, I'm closer to uh, to Smyrna, Smyrna Vinings area. Oh, okay. Right on. Yeah, but Athens just has such a, a nice centralized music scene Mm -hmm. it's very easy to to make friends and like meet people here whereas i feel like in atlanta it's there are obviously those places and it's such a big city but it's almost so spread out and you don't really it was hard for me to find a place to go i guess and here it's like you got you know all the venues are on one street essentially you know yeah i had a similar experience moving here it was like it's just so easy to get plugged in you know and everybody seems to really want to help each other here which is really cool yeah 
So with the music that you've been making, I mean, you've been making music for a good while. Um, do you feel like within this last album, there were any, you know, any breakthroughs or any lessons that you learned that you applied to, um, you know, this most recent album product placement that you learned from your previous albums within the making of those? Definitely. And a lot of my lessons really come more from like the recording side because the last you know grouping of albums I've done, like, um, all the like engineering and recording my own and self-produced. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I've been self-producing it and I feel like I like every album I get a little bit better at that. Mm-hmm. And I think the one place with, with product placement, I think I got better at like creating space and uh, knowing when to like not take up too much space. Mm. Right. Like I feel like a lot of my earlier albums I would be like, Oh, since I can like double and triple everything and add all these parts on every side of the mix, I would just, just do it just to do it. You know, but you really start like kind of watering down the song then. I mean, it can be cool at times to mm-hmm. use to use that technique, but uh, as far as like recording, I think I keep kind of getting better at uh, figuring out you know a couple of good elements and like having those kind of carry the song as opposed to just having a ton of stuff. Right. Was there a song that you did that for the first time and you were like, "Oh shit, I don't need to fill up this all this space or pan all these things to make it sound big. Like it just already sounds great." Yeah, I guess the the title track, I think definitely there's a lot of that on that song. Like the majority of that song is just, you know, doubled guitar, bass and drums all going and uh, just kind of chugging along. Mm -hmm. And uh, which like in previous albums, I've been like, oh, if I'm going to have guitar, bass and drums, I need to have like three synth parts going too, you know, (laughs) but but it can it mean the the four piece rock band is like, it's a great sound, you know, to, to like use a lot. Yeah. <laughs> of course. Sometimes I'm like, Oh wait, we could just keep it simple here and right. sound great. You know? It's so easy to want to go balls to the wall and put everything in, but mm-hmm. there's so many songs and bands I love that are able to strip down at the times where it's really necessary. And you don't even think twice about it, but for some reason, when you're on the other end and you're the one making the songs, it's almost like for me speaking from personal experience, there might be like this sense of, Oh, I need to prove something. Like I need to prove that I can have all this crazy stuff going on. Um, or even just like it's can be scary to have just your voice and bass and drums or something because it's so present and nothing is distracting from it. Um, yeah, that's, I can agree with that a lot. The, uh, I love bass, and that's my favorite part of recording. It's probably my favorite part of writing. A lot of the songs really I start out with just a bass line. Like interesting, I'll just throw a, a like a drum machine on and just play bass, and that'll be kind of the start of the song. And yeah, just kind of record a part and start thinking about what lyrics or synth parts can go over it. And yeah, like having just bass, drums, and uh, one vocal can sound amazing. But it's also can be really scary. (laughs) Yeah, it's like hard to to separate that um, kind of fear of like feeling like it's like, oh, man, every little color of your voice is popping (laughs) out when it's just when there's no guitar or synth or anything. But, you know, some some of the best songs, like most of the song, that's like, you know, what it is. Yeah, it's very scary because it is uh, it's very vulnerable. You know, it forces you to have to come up with lyrics that don't make you cringe. Because mm-hmm. otherwise, everybody's going to hear it very plainly, you know, very clearly. Uh, was there anything about this album, about product placement? I guess, hold on, let me think about which question I want to ask first. I think I would like to ask, now that it's been, it's been about maybe nine months since the release of it, because I think it came out March 20th, so mm-hmm. almost nine months. Um, what are your thoughts on it now? Because I know when you're making an album or even just one song, you can spend so much time with it during the writing, the recording phase, mixing that. I mean, everything. And then it's finally out. And by the time it's out, everyone's hearing it for the first time, but you've already heard it a million times. And I would imagine nine months later, you've had some space. So what are your thoughts about it now? 
uh, alone and maybe in comparison to previous albums? Um, you know, I, I agree with the space thing. Sometimes like, like hearing it right as, as you're making it right after you've made it, it's like, you can't really like fully enjoy it anymore or anything. (laughs) Yeah. But like, if I, sometimes I'll revisit it like before a show just to like practice singing to it or something. It's like, uh, I don't know if this is for you, but like after I record a song and then I've like keep playing it live, I feel like somehow like maybe it's to like entertain myself to make it more interesting, but I'll like change what I'm doing vocally over time yeah. without really knowing it. Totally. And then I'll like go back and listen to it. I'll be like, Oh wait, that's how I recorded it. Like that's how I'm supposed to sing it. Or that's how I like mm-hmm. first thought to sing it. So I like try and keep myself in check every now and then and like go back like and, and sing along with it. But, um, yeah, listening back to it now, I, um, I feel good about it. Um, especially versus like previous stuff. I feel like, production wise i think i kind of honed in how to use logic pro in a way that kind of serves the song and not just like this act of putting a bunch of stuff down like i was saying before Mm -hmm. um i think i like that it's sort of a concept album i didn't i've never really done a concept album usually it's just like this group of songs that uh get recorded and they're like all right i've got 10 of them We'll put them, we'll release it. But like with that album, I sort of had this idea of making each song uh, sort of a commercial in a weird way, you know, like sort right. of each one of them to have like kind of sound like a normal indie rock song. But then it's like, wait, is this, is this an indie rock song or am I like, am I listening to a commercial for something, <laughs> you know? And like kind of have the, like the listener be like wondering what, what's going on. And so that was like a fun exercise. So, um, did you go into, the making of this with that concept in mind or did it just happen once or twice and you were like oh this is kind of interesting let's keep trying that i i went into it with with the concept <laughs> in mind um like during like when the pandemic first hit i uh, i had just released the our last album the final station and uh we were like you know booking a tour yeah and like getting ready to do the thing it's like everybody and then uh, you know, COVID hits, and we had one music video for the title track, but we didn't have like any other content. And I, I made these promotional videos for like pretty much each song on the album that were like fake commercials for different mm-hmm. items. So like I did one for Bud Light Lime, I did one for Pepto Bismol, uh, Milky Way, Cherry Coke. Um, crest um just like a bunch of different things right and uh and i i I found that it was like um one i found that it was a good way to like get people to hear some of the song you know yeah it was like a nice way to like showcase the song and then two i found that everybody believed me yeah i read that like your aunt and uncles were like congrats on (laughs) the pepto-bismol sponsorship or whatever yeah, so it was like everybody thought it was real, and I thought that was like kind of fun, and I thought that was something maybe I could yeah. like lean into even more, you know. Like I, because you know, with COVID, you didn't see anybody for a while, and then and that's then, true. And then like when you, when I got back to seeing folks again, they're like, Nick, it's so great to see that like you're not only making music, but you're like you know in commercials now. <laughs> Are these still on, were they on Instagram? Did they, you make YouTube videos? They were just on Instagram. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Are they still up? Cause mm-hmm. I need to go, I need to go find those. That's funny. Yeah. And I, so I thought if I could like take that even further, um, into like sort of a whole concept album around it and kind of create a character who's like, um, you know, really into to branding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It is funny. It's very, um, uh, capitalist worship i guess which is so funny yeah and like also like i don't know just turning on just lo- looking at your phone and looking at any social media app it seems like uh you know everybody these days is like some kind of like a model you know? yeah they're like tr- like modeling is like a way of you have to be an artist and a model at the same time yeah you know? maybe that's like how it always had to be but like i don't know it's sort of like trying to like play into that it's like 
I'm being a model, but I'm also trying to sell something. Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> and yeah, you do a good job at blurring those lines. It works very well, even just within the music. Like the the, the songs themselves feel like jingles in a way, you know, like not exactly like a jingle, but they feel like they could be this proto <laughs> proto crest jingle, but in an indie rock sense, mm-hmm. you know. Was there any songs that you did on this album that gave you particular trouble in recording? Yeah, I mean, I would love to say that they all come easy, but I, I mean, I would say each one of them gave me a lot of trouble. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. It's, um, I, it would be awesome if to be... Um, be someone who's like, yeah, you know, I just, I went into the studio and I, I put together one and just crushed it. And then, yeah, it's it. But I, most of my songs, like I'll, I'll write a full song and then kind of record all the parts, get all the pieces together. And then I'll be like, oh, wow. Well, the music's really good, but the vocal is like not doing it for me. Mm-hmm. And then I'll just like kind of sit with it for another six months. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I'll like, but I'll have this piece of music that I like but like the melody or like the lyrics, they're just like, it's it's like too much, not enough, you know? Mm-hmm. And I feel like each one of them went through that process. Wow. Like pretty much any song I make kind of goes through that type of process. Um, like a rough draft that just needs one thing changed, but you have to sit with it for a while. Yeah. Or even like some of them, like I'll record it in one key and then I'll be like, okay, this feels okay, but probably needs to be like up a few steps to like really okay. have some more power or like in the other direction or like man this right. one i'm having i'm singing it with like a little bit too much gusto and maybe needs to be more laid back or faster or slower mm-hmm. um so like there's like a lot of like versions of songs on my desktop you know that's funny yeah <laughs> do you have a song that you're the most proud of on on that album probably slot machine be the one yeah. I'm I'm the most proud I like of. Slot machine I really like um I just really like how like it sounds. I think it sounds really fun and different in a way and like I like that the hook is like a, a me laughing. It's like that's yeah. like part of the hook of the song is like me doing this kind of creepy laugh and then but I'm like laughing in rhythm. Mm-hmm. And uh and I, I I'm like really happy with like the lyrics to that song too. Um that song is is it's tricky though. That like a song like that, that's like mainly all like software instruments and drum machines. It always like gets tricky when like we bring that to the band to like try and. Learn. Yeah, how do you <laughs> typically translate these songs live? Because it is a lot of electronics. So live, we always do um, just like four to five piece rock band really, and our our synth player Jeff is excellent at like kind of you know taking the the parts that I've that I've written and like making them sound even better live or making them sound a little bit different, fuller. And our our drummer Jay, he kind of does the same thing. So for a song with like a drum machine, he'll like sort of do what the drum machine's doing, but mm-hmm. like maybe something more or less depending on like what it needs to be live. Um, but it can be kind of tricky. It takes like some time to like kind of tease out what the live version should be. Yeah. Um, We've never actually played to a backing track, which um, huh. could could be cool for some of, for some of the songs. But for a live show, I just like really enjoy like a live drum. So, yeah, you know, kicking the beat instead totally. of having. Uh, I've done shows with backing tracks like alone, but I feel like if a drummer's there, like I I just I don't feel like we would we need a, a yeah. drum machine. But like yeah. Um, there's probably times where we could have, it could have served us well, but, um, honestly it just kind of seems like a headache <laughs> for everybody. But yeah. And I if you I mean, already had the drum set, it's like, we're going to decide not to use it yeah. for this one part. Have you ever used a, a drum machine with your band? I have not. I'm, I'm also considering giving it a shot because, uh, some of these new songs that I recorded with Tommy, at least two out of these three do really have. Um, some pretty key uh, drum machine moments to them. So I feel like it would be very beneficial to have them, even though it's not necessary. Like I've already played one of the songs live without the, without the um, 
drum machine and it sounds good but there is like a tightness that i would like to see if it really brings it mm-hmm. um so i'd like to try it at some point but yeah no i haven't yet i am a little nervous though about like yeah if you if you are a little bit uh you know dragging or rushing that thing doesn't care it's going to keep going yeah yeah and it's it just I know certain drummers like it, but I just would feel bad. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I feel like it wouldn't, like if I were a drummer, which I'm not really like that great of a drummer. I don't really consider myself like too good at that type of stuff. But like if I, if that was my thing, I'd be like, oh, they're going to make me play to this thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just feel like yeah. it, wouldn't, it wouldn't be as fun or something. But I think it'd be cool for like being able to trigger certain things. Mm-hmm. But yeah, having it going the whole time, it's like, you know, do we really need this the whole time or can we just have it for parts of it? But I don't know, to each their own, I guess. Um, but how do you feel about when you are playing live? Like, do you enjoy the process of kind of switching it up or do you try to keep it as standard to the song, the recorded version as possible? So I, I look at the recorded version and the live as like two different things. Okay. And because the recorded version is always, um, you know, something that like I've mainly worked on alone. And then uh, I kind of like the people that play in my band, I want them to like, you know, take their interpretation on the parts, you know, as long as like the the structure is all there and like the groove is mainly there. Um, I like, you know, to extend certain parts and, uh, you know, put different dynamics in. So it's almost like the, you know, the recording version is like the blueprint, the stuff that people are hearing if they listen. Um, but, you know, when people come to the show, I want it to be like a good bit different, you know? Yeah. Like, I don't, I, I've been to shows of bands who like, like we were saying, you know, like they'll play everything to a click. They'll have a bunch of stuff triggered and it'll sound exactly like the record. And um, it's nice, but it's like, I already have the record. Yeah. You know, you want to hear like a little bit more of like just a little something different. Yeah. Something different or like maybe a little bit more of like the players and the bands like personality come through in a different way. Um, so, yeah, I, I look at it as like two kind of different things. Yeah, for sure. I think it's more fun to look at it that way, too. I didn't notice until very recently that one song that I play live, that's one of my favorites to play live we speed up like a good 20% faster. Mm -hmm. And then we tried playing it to the actual uh, tempo and it just was kind of boring to play it. Now, when you listen to the song, I think the studio version, I don't feel that way. I don't feel like it's boring, but playing it live to like this, to that same tempo, it just like feels like it's, it needs to be faster. And I think it's more fun for people, even if it is a little bit faster to to get a slightly different version of it, you know? Yeah, I agree. I think, like, I I, I don't know who, who, like, taught me that rule or whatever, but I've, I feel like I heard that a long time ago. Like, you, when you record something, you want it to be, like, a slightly slower than you would play it live. Um, but, yeah, it can get... You can get, like, way ahead of yourself, though, in a way where you're like, oh, wait, what are we doing with this song? It's, like, it's right. super fast now. So sometimes when I record songs now, like, like I'm, I'm working on some new stuff right now, and, like, I'll, like, I'll, like, track it and, like, kind of start putting it together, and then I'll, like, raise the BPM, like, three or four, just to be like, all right, go ahead and, like, get ahead of it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. I, I can, like, hear where we're going to take it right. when we play it live. Like, go ahead and speed it up then. Yeah. So you got some new, you're working on some new tunes. Do you have any creative territory that you're trying to explore currently that maybe you weren't uh, exploring in the previous albums or ideas you're really interested in with this new one? Um, I'm still sort of like in the demo experimenting phase. Um, I think, I think I'm, I'm leaning more into a kind of, funk and maybe a little bit of disco right now which is it's stuff i've done before but i think i'm like maybe leaning even further into it in mm-hmm. a way um there's this artist from australia named donnie benet that i i really like yeah you know that you know ben? i know i know him and i listened to a couple songs with garrett cardoso when we oh. were doing a photo shoot he put them on and i was like i've seen this guy's face and yeah. like his vibe but i've never really listened to him 
Yeah, he's uh, he has a vibe, <coughs> and he's got uh, definitely a, like a cult following, right? He does. I was shocked. I went and saw him play in Atlanta um, about a year ago, and it was his first Atlanta show. You know, he's from Australia, and like first time. I think it was maybe his first or second time in the states. But he played, where did he play? He played at Terminal West, and it was pretty good. It was size very crowded. Yeah, I thought there was gonna be like thirty people there because I just I don't meet meet many people who are into uh-huh. uh, what he does, and um, I just I really like I really like how he plays bass, and like you know I try and like sort of emulate that type of bass playing. And when uh, he's playing live, is he playing bass? He is. Yeah, he oh, plays. Wow. Uh, he he plays a like that tour. He was. Okay. I don't know. I he's going on tour again uh, this year, and I'm not sure if that's what he'll be doing again, but. I think that's like really where he shines. So um, I would assume he that's like kind of be his thing when they gotcha. play live. Huh. Um, but uh, but yeah, I uh, I'm kind of trying to lean into that type of thing, um, like you know, just really kind of busy bass lines, but with like um, songs that are have have like sort of less going on, but the bass is sort of like carrying it. Mm. Because like a lot of times, like when you add a lot of guitars and whatnot, then the bass just kind of gets muddied out right. um, in the mix. Unless you're listening on something where you can really hear the bass, so I'm always trying to figure out ways to kind of clear things out and make room for the bass to kind of poke out. Just because that makes sense. You start with bass a lot of times. Exactly. Yeah, that's cool. I've only written one song where I started on bass, and it was kind of sick. I'm like, oh wow, you like everything else can be anything. You know, yeah, it, you got the ba- you got the literally the base uh, level of everything done. So everything else you add on top of it is just icing on the cake, really. Because mm-hmm. that's really if you got a good bass and drum groove, like that's it. That's really all you need. And everything else is are like these little bells and whistles that just help it become its own song. Yeah, totally. That's that's like that's kind of the mentality I'm I'm trying to stick with, but. I can be kind of all over the place though, but it's like, I also love some surf guitar. So I'm like, yeah, I'm like playing this other song where I'm doing a bunch of surf guitar. So mm-hmm. that's like sort of the other direction. But I mean, uh, hey, you got a whole album, you got plenty of little corners that you can, you know, try out. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to ask about the visuals. You know, we've talked about like some of the marketing and the visuals that you have for these, these albums and these songs. And, this kind of character that's sort of there, sort of not. Who do you feel like are some artists that you look up to that really nailed that? Maybe that just their visuals and like their their vision for their project. Um, some more recent people that I I really like are uh, there's there's one Austra- another Australian artist uh, named Alex Cameron. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. I don't know, but uh, he. Uh, I think he's like really nailed a cool visual and kind of character all wrapped into one. Um, mm-hmm. Him and his uh, horn player, Roy Malloy, they're both like sort of have this kind of like sleazy business person lounge singer vibe mm-hmm. to them. And, uh, but it's all very like, it feel it, it kind of feels like, uh, an episode of Flight of the Concords in a way, mm-hmm. but maybe not quite as silly, you know? Yeah. They kind of blur the line between being uh, kind of real and silly. Yeah. And I, I really like that. I also just kind of like their style in general, like kind of how they dress and whatnot. I think it's cool. Um, David Bowie, is, of course. Classic, that, yeah. Yeah, that I've always uh, love all the kind of different characters that he took on with his visual It's insane. Yeah. I was thinking about it the other day, like, Cause we had um, Kahi come in here, who's an indie synth pop artist from Atlanta, and they chose um, Aladdin Sane, that David Bowie album. Mm-hmm. And it's just crazy to think everybody knows that um, that David Bowie look, but I don't think many people really know music from that album. I mean, me included, I have it in there, but um, it's not the one I listen to the most. But it's funny to think that there are like seven looks that you can name off the top of your head that Bowie did. And there's way more that he's done as well. Yeah. But it's like, you could think of seven right now, which mm-hmm. is crazy to think that somebody can have a vision that just crushes so hard each time. 
yeah it's impressive yeah and the ability to like comfortably reinvent yourself and like yeah. feel good and just play that part you've created mm-hmm. yeah um i don't know why i thought about this now maybe it was the fact you said of uh, like a duo um that australian duo you were talking about um but do you know the help h-e-l-l-p mm, i don't know i don't think i've heard of them you might like them they're I really only know one song, but they're like this very sleazy uh, American duo. But I would watch these interviews with them and I'm like, I truly don't know if they are being characters or if they're this annoying, yeah. <laughs> like these annoying sleazeball guys. But they if if they're being characters, I mean, it's brilliant because it's it's so perfectly done, but I don't. If they're not being characters, I'm also equally amazed that they're real people. Mm-hmm. Um, but <laughs> yeah. the music is is very kind of like sleazy techno, uh, but more in an indie, like a indie rock uh, way, I guess, because that's I don't really get too much into like techno. So this, for some reason, uh, hits me the right way. But you you should check them out, and also the name. I love the name, the Help H E L L P. <laughs> um frost children is another one that is kind of in the same vein where i'm like these guys like their their vibe is so interesting that it draws me in before i even hear the music you know mm-hmm. i always think that's impressive when somebody's visuals and vision can like bring you into the music before you even heard a note yeah i think that's important especially live you know if true you have, yeah have some kind of thing to like cue people in um it's, I mean, it's a hard thing to do, but yeah. if you can like plot something out, whether it be like as a band or just one person in the band doing something that's like maybe a little different visually or even having like props and yeah. different things on stage to kind of help with that. Yes. You know, dressing the, the set so that it actually brings people into this world. You know, anything you can do to, to mitigate people having to try to like figure out what's going on if you just set up the world for them it's like oh they can just now they can be here but i guess there's also uh value to you know the mystery as well so i won't say that necessarily but do you have any um visuals you set up when you do live shows yeah so for a while now um i've been bringing all the products on on the stage oh like the merch uh well like so whenever we play i have a table and it's got um it's got a four loco on it nice it has uh oh like pepto-bismol bud light pepto-bismol crest Mm. barbasol has all of our products all of our um all the entities that help keep us alive as a band (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah i'm with you so it's so it's on stage the whole time (coughs) and uh it's really it's great um, because it, it confuses people for one thing because they're, they're like for sure. you know yeah like another band's playing a, a small venue and then like the you know I'm setting up my stuff and I'm like putting all this stuff and pe- people are like what's this what's this guy <laughs> this guy should be setting an amp up why is commercial yeah what's what why is he putting his, right. his shaving cream on stage but uh, we we put that stuff up there and like. And I'll like talk about it in like in between songs, you know, and be like, you know, just, you know, hate to bring up business here, but we got to <laughs> <laughs> like in order for us to keep these contracts. We have yeah. To- <laughs> and uh, so we're actually t- obligated yeah. and like it's uh, I mean, it's it's silly, but it can kind of like, you know, it can help kind of break the wall you know yeah because it's what i'm what all i'm trying to say and doing it is like i get that like you know i'm i'm a nobody or you know i'm just like another dude up here playing Mm -hmm. and another person up here playing and like uh and it's just like us kind of like realizing that in like kind of a silly way and like it usually helps kind of pull people in a little yeah you know and it's also like I've I've gotten better at this over the years, but like you know, talking in between songs it can be like kind of hard. You know, if like of course, if um, 
like I have some friends who do stand up comedy and I'm just like, that seems really scary. Like that. Yeah, for, totally. The whole show is the song is the part in between the songs. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. When you put it like that, that's yeah. terrifying. Sorry for the train, everybody. It's a little loud, but, um, but, but yeah, so, um, it's like a nice thing to kind of like default to while we're like in between songs instead yeah. of being like listen to the songs on our album and just be like, of All course, right, if y'all uh, give it up for uh, Pepto Bismol, our <laughs> yeah. top tier sponsor. For Everybody this. give a, give a round of applause. <laughs> <laughs> People are like, what the fuck is going on? And it, it'll be, it's surprising, um, you know, which crowds the Pepto Bismol really uh, land with. Really? Yeah. Like, you know, every now and then I'll be like, wow, these, these kids in Colombia, they're just, going crazy. They, for they love Pepto Bismol, or like, wow. or like these people in North Carolina, they just really like Four Loco. You know, is there one that consistently crushes? Um, like one of the the products. Yeah, I would imagine Four Loco does. Four Loco does well. Does well. Um, I'm sure <laughs> if we ever get back down to Florida, Four Loco will do well. Um, yeah. the uh, the Pepto Bismol always does really well. People people just seem to really. Uh, really connects for some reason it's like an american staple you know <laughs> something about the pink bottle too very mm. inviting i guess yeah <laughs> that's awesome well nicholas let's take this over to the last five where i'm just going to ask you five quick questions and then we'll be done and uh these five quick questions are actually going to come out of this bowl here oh so cool. i'm gonna shuffle it up uh I'm going to ask that you don't rip any of the papers because <laughs> I didn't think I had to ask anybody, but people love to rip the papers up or, or, you know, fidget with them. You can fidget with them. That's, that's all good. But I've had a few guests just not think about it. Just rip them. I'm like, thanks. got to redo <laughs> that one. Uh, but yeah, let's check question number one. Alrighty, Q1. In the studio or playing live? All right, this one's really hard, and if you asked me, like, maybe three years ago, I would say in the studio, but absolutely any day playing live. Oh, okay. Yeah. So what changed? Um, I think during um, during the pandemic, not playing, Yeah. you know, I had all the time I, I could want in the studio recording, <laughs> Right. and I was like, wow, yeah, this part is, is not as much fun. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, being creative, being in that space where you're like very hyper-focused on something is really cool. Mm -hmm. But what, to me, what music is all about is connecting with others. And so like when, and when you're playing live, you're, you're doing that through performing and you're meeting new people. And like, that's why I love this so much because I get to, you know, meet new people all the time and have those like experiences with my band and with my friends playing. Yeah, that's a great answer. I I still probably say the studio just because I, I I love that feeling of taking something that didn't exist and then it's all of a sudden it's this whole song and something that's tangible. But it does never quite get there unless you play it live almost. It's like if you can play that live now it's a it's like it goes from like a teenager song to an adult song. Like <laughs> yeah. it's it's experienced the world now, I guess. Yeah, I, I agree. But you know, this that's a tough one. Or it used yeah. to be it used to be more difficult. Some people are quick with it and then yeah. yeah, some people that is a really tough one. Um but yeah, let's see question number two. All right. Three deserted island albums. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, number one, I would say uh, Sound and Vision by David Bowie. Okay. Which one is that? Um, so, Sound and Vision is the one with the, the title track, Sound and Vision's on there. That makes sense. And uh, What's the uh, album cover? It's the one where he's got the like the red hair and it's the side profile. Um, oh, okay. The, the first half of the album is like um, kind of like, you know, standard like kind of funky kind of like, proto new wave uh -huh. bowie type stuff it's like one of the ones he did in the 70s and uh it's it's interesting because like so half of that album was like kind of outtakes from station to station oh and it was like songs that like didn't quite make the cut for that which that's another great one but um so they're like they're they're like interesting they're like the 
some of them like don't really have a chorus. They'll just be like kind of a few parts and then the band will kind of jam for a little bit. Mm -hmm. But like the arrangements are just so great. The synth parts are really cool. And, uh, and just like his vocal melodies are awesome. And the second half of the album is like part of a score that he did for this movie called, um, the man who fell from earth. That's like the movie yeah. where he, you know, he plays like the alien in it. He's, yeah. He's got the same look in it, like that red hair. Oh, okay. I've never seen it. It's, it's cool. I mean, it's, it's like, it's a slow burner, but it's, I mean, it's good. I, I would check it out, but he, uh, he, um, I think he was asked to do the score for the movie in addition to like starring in it. But for whatever reason, the director like didn't like the score he put together. So like the mm -hmm. second half of the album is like part of that score. Huh. So it's like you hear, you hear like these, uh, these really great, you know, it's kind of like standard Bowie type songs. And then you hear these like amazing arrangements with all these cool synths in it. Huh. And instrumentals. Uh, yeah. Instrumentals. Huh. Yeah. So it's like, it's it's like a little bit different than his other albums in that way. Then it's not just like you know nine pop songs, right? Yeah. That's interesting. I'll I'll check it out. I'm definitely partial to the nine pop song albums, but I do need to do a little bit more crate digging with with David Bowie. How do you feel about Black Star? I love Black Star. Yeah, I've really come around to it now. It took yeah. a it took a while to to find the thing that would get me into it mm -hmm. and interesting enough it was um sorry i just realized we're still that's album number one out of three from no, desert island discs <laughs> um sorry to derail but uh do you like spoon yeah great yeah have you heard their cover of i can't give everything away i haven't no it's fantastic and oh. i heard that first and was like, oh shit, I don't know this one. So then I went back and listened to David Bowie's version and really liked it. And I was like, you know, maybe I should give the whole album a chance. Because I would listen to the first song and I'm like halfway through. I'm like, what is going on? Like, mm -hmm. this is not what I thought at all. And then now it's it's really like, I've done a 180 and I love that album now. But um, but yeah, sorry. I was just curious what you, what you thought about that last one. Yeah. Um, so... I got two more albums, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so, so, so Sound and Vision, Sound and Vision, David Bowie, and then this next one is a uh, more of like a recent one, but it's a band called U.S. Girls. I don't know if you've ever heard of them. It sounds uh, familiar, but it's called Heavy Light, and okay. it's just like you know, really solid, uh, like the kind of like funky, like indie pop type songs. But um, some of them get like pretty dark, and the the vocals on it are just like amazing. I just really really dig it. So that's huh. like kind of been one that's like on constant repeat for me. When did that come out? I think Heavy Light came out in 2020. Oh, okay, they've had us. Uh, U.S. Girls put out different. I think another album since then. But that's like one I kind of keep um, coming back to. Um, just like I don't know, just like doesn't really get old for me. Mm -hmm. And uh, then my third one, uh, let's see here, Deserted Island. Um, so this one might be kind of a surprise, but it actually be a Bright Eyes album. Okay. And uh, they'd be the album People's Key. Gotcha. Um, I've never listened to Bright Eyes. Yeah, really. the the like melodies and lyrics to those songs, I just think are are killer. They're know? more of emo right definitely yeah, yeah. They're, they're more like kind of one of the people who kind of started the emo thing but i don't know i don't like i don't know if they really claim emo but mm -hmm. like they were they were like definitely early on that and they they were kind of um early on like that uh you know starting your own label uh oh okay kind of uh getting your own distribution and like really like like big like DIY culture like in Omaha where Bright Eyes is from oh. they uh there's like a kind of a big DIY culture there that they started this label called Saddle Creek Records mm -hmm. and I feel like I've heard of that to, like the Bright Eyes and other bands were able to do like very well like in like the late 90s all the way up to the gotcha. 2000s is that Connor Oberst Connor Oberst yeah, yeah. Okay. and People's Key is is like sort of one of their later albums but it um it has sort of his indie folk type songwriting but it kind of mixes it in with a 
like other like new wave elements and it's got um like a lot of like maybe like the cure in there mm. and like maybe even a little bit of like u2 and uh it's a lot of like huh. kind of mystical like uh extraterrestrial kind of themes to it okay um so i guess a little bit of david bowie in yeah a way as well which you wouldn't really think of those two characters together. yeah but uh but yeah it's i just i think that album is just really great and that might be more for me because i think it's hard for me to get into some emo music i just haven't found a lot of emo music that i really like fuck with but it's not for like not trying mm-hmm. i think i think i just like emo adjacent stuff like Mm -hmm. stuff that like has moments of it but like same with pop punk i know that's different but like i never got into pop punk really Mm -hmm. just missed the train i missed the emo train as well so things that are adjacent to that uh are a little more to my liking so i'll have to check that one out yeah i I think you dig it it's like it's definitely like it was was late it's like later in their career so that it doesn't Mm -hmm. sound as like you know it's not as hard on your sleeve, you know, right. it's got like a little yeah. bit more, uh, further perspective. I got you. Whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, let's see what question number three is. All right. We said, <coughs> what's on your musical rotation? Um, well, I can tell you right now, um, I still have a car with a, a CD player. Nice. And I've got Neighbor Ladies album in my oh, car. Oh right yeah, now. yeah. I um, want to get them not, in here. Not the most recent one, but the one before it. Yeah. And that never gets old to me. I, I love their stuff. Cool. I actually just saw them play like a few weeks ago. I don't know if you no. really catch that where, show. Where where are they? They played where at, did they play? They played at the theater at Georgia. Oh, theater. okay. Nice. I I don't think I've ever seen them play. Um I get them and family and friends confused because uh, I have seen family and friends play at uh, Athfest last year, mm-hmm. I think. Cause, didn't they headline family and friends? I th- that sounds right. Yeah, I think they yeah. did headline last year or they've headlined some years. So it was either last year or the year before. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, neighbor lady, I, I've still never really checked out and I need to and I need to get them in here as well because I've heard great thanks yeah they're um those songs are excellent really good and, and that's the newest album or the one before that the one before that that is the one that's in my car and like i feel dumb for not knowing the name of it but i guess that's how it is when you just have a cd that's yeah in your, in your car. i had the uh, deer hunter halcyon digest album in my car for like three years straight yeah one of my favorite albums ever i can't remember most of the songs yeah other than, you know just because it's the one in my car you know yeah, I, I I bought it from them one of the last times they played at Athens, and it's like, I ha- I feel like all the CDs in my car are all like local bands here. Right? Okay. Those are the only people like who you buy CDs from. Yeah, you know. So I have like their theirs and like a couple others, and then I have Blood on the Tracks stuff. Oh you know? uh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> nice. Yeah. So neighbor lady, great answer. Lady. All right, question number four. Um dream artist slash producer to work with um i guess for um producer um there's this guy uh jonathan rado i think is yeah. say his name yeah dude he's sick uh i just From foxygen yeah i love his band foxygen i mean mm-hmm. they, they were like i always i've seen them play a couple times and i, I just cool. like i love what they did i guess they're not a band anymore which is a bummer yeah um, but like not. he's produced like a, a lot of the artists I really like, like that guy, Alex Cameron, I was telling you about earlier. Oh, okay. He, he produced, I think two of his albums and those are like two of my favorite albums too. Um, and then, uh, he also did, uh, I think he did some father John Misty stuff maybe, but yeah, huh. I think it, I really like his aesthetic and, uh, that would be, it seems like he'd be a cool person to work with. Dude. That would be awesome. I got into him and Foxygen because um, this guy who I interviewed way back in the day, before I did this here in Athens, it was all on Zoom because I started it during the pandemic. And I interviewed this guy. Do you know Rubber Band Gun? Have you ever heard of him? I don't think so, no. He's in Philly. And I interviewed him, which is how I met him. And then I really love his music, and he also produces so many people. Um, and I ended up working with him and he produced like four of my songs, like an EP I did a few years ago. And he 
had a whole story about how he went to go see Foxygen, didn't know who they were, was blown away, said it was like the most amazing concert he'd ever seen, ended up talking with Jonathan Rado, and I don't even remember how he it ended up happening, but he became part of the band, like the live band. So you can see them playing on um, David Letterman, and he's playing guitar Wow! for the song... Is it how can you really? Yeah, that yeah. song. And he's like in the back. I was like, oh what shit, what that's Kevin. Guy, what does this guy look like? Um, long. He's skinny, like uh, tan, like kind of long. Does he have darker hair? Yeah, yeah. Does he wear glasses usually? Yeah. So I think I met this guy too. Really? I think he also plays guitar for Alex Cameron. Oh, maybe so. Because I met when when we saw Alex Cameron, I met this dude who. Was like, yeah, I used to play for Foxygen. Oh, and maybe, I, yeah. Maybe. When I first saw first saw Alex Cameron, he was like opening for Foxygen. That's like how I heard about oh, them. Okay, and I think that's how like Jonathan Reto and them like all right. worked up. But yeah, like, um, yeah, he's like out road dogging it with with this Australian band now too. If we're talking about the same person, probably. Yeah, yeah his name is Kevin um, Kevin Basco, and. His in the project name he puts everything out on is a rubber band gun. So I think he'd really like him. I mean, his he's you know in the same realm as as Jonathan Rado and um, and all that. So you probably dig him. That's so funny. I bet it's probably the same guy. I mean, I don't know. You you probably did you keep up with this person? Um, I mean, you know, we follow each other on yeah everything. Does he seem like he's playing or he he's interesting because. I don't know. He doesn't post a lot on social media. And when he does, it's just about um, stuff. It's either like some new album that he just put out out of nowhere. Like he doesn't mm-hmm. do any promotion really. Oh, okay. Um, he's He literally, I'm not kidding. He probably has 50 albums on Bandcamp. Wow. It's ridiculous. He just makes stuff and puts it out like without really any like promotion or, or afterthought, I guess. Um, but he's so talented and he does almost everything to tape as well. Yeah. Like he's very, like when he produced my EP, we did everything to tape. Um, he's and a very, this was, this was up in Philly. Yeah. I that, went, that's where you lived before here. No, I just went up cause oh, I wanted cool. to work with him and I was like, he's like, you could stay with me for five days. We'll record four songs and that'll be that. I was like, all right, let's do it. That's awesome. This was even before I lived in Athens. I wouldn't have done that if I lived <laughs> here and I knew how big of a scene was here. <laughs> Um, Where were you living before then? I just moved back to Atlanta. I lived in LA for like five and a half years. Hmm. And then I interviewed him in 2020, towards the end of 2020. And just like had him in the back of my mind when I had these songs ready to go. And I was like, let's see, you know, if he'd be interested in doing it. And he he had a great price. And I'm like, I have points on Southwest, so Mm -hmm. let's do it. And um, it was a blast. It was it was really fun. So I have, obviously there's a shit ton of producers here if you want to work <laughs> with other producers here, but you know, he's a great guy to work with as well. Um, and yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if it's the same guy we're talking about. That you yeah, met. that would be, that would be tight. That would yeah. be funny. I'll, I'll find a picture of him and yeah. show you in a sec. Uh, I think we're on the last question though. Two artists you want to see collab. All right. Yeah. So let's see here. Um, I don't. I don't really know why these were the first two artists that I thought of. This probably shouldn't be, but I think we're all due for a Creed and Limp Biscuit. Uh, <laughs> okay. Duo. Yeah. Yeah. Why not <laughs> new metal and whatever Creed is? I guess that would be new metal and is it new metal? New metal and little new christian metal christian metal yeah there you go yeah why not that would be that would certainly take over the internet if anything you know i would be i'd like to hear it well that's yeah let's leave it there we should leave it there create and limp biscuit balls in your court all right nicholas malice thank you for coming on the podcast man it's great getting to talk to you everybody go listen to uh to product placement on your preferred streaming service and uh, do you have any shows that you want to plug sure yeah we're we're playing um playing atlanta on june 13th we're doing 529 cool and then we're playing savannah in february february 10th and 
back in Athens, February 16th. Actually. You said June ter- 13th? Oh, uh, uh, January 13th. Okay. Yeah. I was like, that's so far in advance, <laughs> yeah, we, but cool. <laughs> okay. So January 13th. Yeah. I wish we were booked out through June. But yeah. I was like, <laughs> damn, dude, he's got it on lock. So yeah, January 13th, 529. And what was the other one? Uh, February 10th in Savannah. And cool. then February 16th, we're back here in Athens at the Flicker. Nice. Sweet. Hell yeah. Well, Nicholas Malice, thanks again for coming on, man. Thank you for having me. We'll talk to really, you later. Really appreciate it. Thank you again for tuning into the newest episode of On That Note with Parker Whirling. Remember, not only can you listen to the episodes on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, but you can also watch the episodes on my YouTube channel, which is linked in the description below. And on that note, I'll see you guys next time.